Welcome to the Brain People Podcast, a show where four mental health experts team up to bring you practical tools for overcoming mental health challenges. The Brain People don't replace your doctor or therapist, but we will give you some extra tools to help you on your journey. So join us as we fight mental illness, one episode at a time. Welcome to the Brain People Podcast. My name is Jonathan Edens. I'm a psychiatric PA, and I will be your host today. We have a very special guest on the show. It's actually not one of our normal hosts. Uh, we actually have one of our graduates from our IOP program. Uh, to my right, um, Tanner. How's it going? <laughs> so Tanner is, as I said, he's he's very special to many of us here because he's been involved in the Beautiful Minds family now for a few years. And so we wanted to bring him on because he's got a really excellent backstory, and we think that his uh, we think that his story is one of of uh, that can be in- inspiring for those of you listening. So Tanner. Um, I think the first question that I have for you is give us some backstory on your mental health journey. Uh, I, I know, and we'll, we'll, we'll go into what happened in 2017, mm-hmm. but if you could lead us up kind of over over the years in in, in, a, in a summary sort of way yeah. uh, up to those events that happened. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so I, uh, I was born here in Auburn, and um, my uh, parents got divorced when I was five. And so um, I... I I think probably I had uh, like I had anxiety and stuff beforehand, and I've been told uh, from relatives, like my grandmother tells me, like I, when I was really little, I would just get kind of anxious. Um, but uh, after my parents got divorced, I uh, it definitely had like an impact on my my mental health and understanding. And uh, we moved me, my my mom, and my siblings moved to up um, to Oregon, mm-hmm. and um, it didn't. It, it's one of those things where like I mean I'm a kid, so I don't really have. Um, too much direct memory of like feeling like too anxious all the time, but yeah. I do remember uh, going to therapy at a really young age, and okay. um, uh, to the point where like I actually I ran into um, my therapist one of the last times I was visiting town, and I mentioned something about like one of our first sessions, and he was pretty like impressed that I remembered like the details of his office and stuff. But um, and uh, I always kind of like. I did recognize that, like having in school and stuff, like having like just kind of a, a sense that like something was going to go wrong, and like mm. I, I would talk to my mom about that too growing up. Um, when was the conceptual framework of depression and anxiety introduced to you? Like when when would you be? When do you think that you were consciously aware enough to say that I have these issues? Um, I think that it was like when I probably not too like conscious of it until like I think I always kind of knew like there was something that would it kind of made me a bit different in the context like I'd see other kids do uh certain things with like more like enjoyment I guess or like less emotions like mm. but um I, I don't know I think it, it really became more conscious as like I got uh into like preteen age like 11 12 13 and started okay. to kind of more understand like uh, actually, like what that meant, like outside of it just being like a characteristic of like uh, uh, somebody in like a TV show or something, if that makes sense. Like Eeyore is depressed, yeah. you know, but like recognizing um, that like it it does like play a lot into like me um, like not uh, being willing to like go out with friends or or like me um, messing up on tests or procrastinating stuff or 
Um, like I played baseball and I did awesome in practice, but when it came to game time, mm-hmm. it was like I forgot absolutely yeah. everything and I would embarrass myself. And um, and so like for a long time, I kind of just thought that I was broken. And like, again, it's, you base, I think a lot of us base stuff off of, you know, I grew up in a smaller town, so we base stuff off of TV and other things that we see. And like, I just kind of assumed like I was going to be like a curly, like three headed or three stooges. Like I was just going <laughs> to be kind of like bumbling my whole life. And like that, that was what it was. Um, and, uh, but I mean, it, it progressively got worse and worse, um, as I got older and then, and you started seeing not just a therapist, but you also started seeing mental health prescribers like a psychiatrist so, as well, right? Yeah, it well, kind of. Um, again, small town. So when I was living in Oregon, I didn't get to see a psychiatrist because there wasn't really one in town. That, okay. um, but I saw like my just general practice doctor. Yeah. Um, and told him like explained like I'm anxious, I'm having these problems, and he prescribed me Xanax. Okay. Um, and I was in that was when I was in a high school. I think. Um, uh, well, so I, I got to take that back. Actually, I did see because I spent I spent a year uh, in California for my freshman year of high school, and I had some mental health problems manifest. And the living situation wasn't the best at the time, and mm-hmm. um, without going into like too many details about that, um, but even then, it was it was something where like anxiety got in the way and I couldn't be honest with the therapist about why I was feeling these ways, and so I had to kind of like make up what was what I like what was bothering me into so that changed the diagnosis that I would get and then um, and then that played into things later on but when I moved back to Oregon um, all of my mental health problems that were really like affecting me daily at the time disappeared like in the context like the stress that that was causing it was no longer there and so um, but the anxiety and then the depression side of it um, and again like I don't think I was ever really conscious of the depression until until I got to a point after 2017 where I was more out of it and where I could look back with a different perspective of like, oh, okay, that really did impact like my mental health in high school and throughout, and then even after I graduated while I was there. So you, um, you it sounds like you first got a prescription for some sort of mental health indication mm-hmm. freshman or sophomore year of high school, yeah, right? And, yeah. and you remember that first medication being Xanax? No, so yeah, I, I, I misspoke actually. That first medication, I don't remember what it was. It's okay, but, it's not um, too important. But it was something, again, that drastically changed my personality to the point where I stopped taking it and I would fake mm-hmm. take it. And just I just recognized that like I need to be not getting in trouble at school. I need to not be like causing stuff at home and just kind of put my head down and like do do my work, basically live day to day and focus on not making any stir, not making any problem, not bringing any attention to myself. Okay. And then that made it mitigated like the my my parents need at the time to like make sure that I was taking the medicine if that makes sense. So you're throughout high school and in the early adulthood, mm-hmm. you continued to see some combination of mental health providers, yeah, right? Yeah. And and any other really important events leading up to 2017 in between sort of high school and, and that time frame? Uh, yeah, I had, um, I have, uh, my brother uh, Josh passed away when I was in my senior year of high school. He, mm-hmm. he got into a car accident and um, that was a really uh, abrupt like um, situation. And again, like, I think that it was another, like, I, now that we're talking, I, maybe that was probably the point where I started to become more conscious about like, how much my anxiety affected my day to day. And like, again, looking at it more in the context of like, how am I 
how am I able to live and not not so much and like how much am I enjoying life? Not so much of like what is the character that I'm expected to play because of these events, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after my um, my brother died, um, I had a close aunt uh, die and uh, from COPD and. Uh, and then uh, my my grandfather, my dad's dad, passed away shortly thereafter too, and that was all within the span of uh, 2014, 2015. So okay. like, I think all in 2014 actually, but okay. within a few months of each other. Um, and that uh, was a moment where I kind of like, I kind of like stepped step back and I looked at my life a little bit more um, and realized that I really wasn't happy and the place that I was at when I was living in Southern Oregon um, and uh, it was really gloomy <laughs> most of the year. Um, I wasn't happy in the relationship. I was with a girl from high school still and um, there just wasn't a lot there where it was like a genuinely like Healthy. uplifting relationship for yeah. either of us at that point in time. And, um, and more so just because of our individual ages and like the seasons of our life, like neither of us were abusive or anything in the context to each other. It just, we had different, uh, alignments of values and ideas and stuff so um and recognizing like all of that and then um as well when my grandpa died like because my relationship wasn't the best with my dad because of uh the, the rocky start in high school um i i recognized like i needed to or i didn't recognize i needed to i wanted to build a relationship with my dad so that i didn't get a phone call someday that he had died and then mm-hmm. be like oh um, because when he called me about my de- uh, my grandpa passing, he was he was really upset on the phone and crying, and it was the first time that I'd heard him cry since uh, I was like four years old. Um, in all honesty, um, and that was when uh, in, uh, uh, not to go too deep into other stuff, but that my uncle um, committed suicide when I was around four, and it was his stepbrother, and so um, and that was genuinely the last time that I did, I remember him crying was at his his service. Um, and then, uh, so that was like, it shook me and on top of like this other kind of, um, like awakening, I guess that like, I really wasn't happy going to school. I wasn't happy with my relationship. I wasn't happy with my, the area that I was living in. I wasn't happy with like my weight and a bunch of other stuff. And, um, so I made the decision to, to move to California and to try to, to rebuild my relationship with my dad and, um, to get into a different area and try to basically run away from my problems. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so those events set us up for, I think, a good understanding of your history. And really there was, as we alluded to before, a pivotal time in 2017 that really changed the trajectory of your healing process. Yeah. Can you walk me through what happened in 2017? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in the time between when I moved to California um, in 2015, uh, or, yeah, like late 2015, and then leading to 2017, I uh, I started again trying to rekindle my relationship with my dad, um, and I was working with him, and like through the process of working with him and just being curious about like where I came from and my existence and my life and stuff and. Um, because my mom and him got divorced at, when I was so young, I, w- I was curious about the relationship. But anytime I would ask him about it, it would like really quickly devolve into like his hatred about just how the relationship ended and and a lot of the, his hurt from that. And it started to like really twist my view of my mom. And then I would call my mom and I would try to talk to my mom about things. And then she would tell me something else. And then that would kind of twist my view of my dad. And I, I started getting really pulled in between these two situations. And again, had this like, well, I'm, I'm like down here chasing family. And I, I felt like, I, like all these like events were justified in some case because of 
like that's what you're supposed to do for family, but I was getting like just pulled in the middle and um and my mental health was suffering and and I'm not blaming just that. Like I was not doing myself a lot of favors. I was I was using a lot of drugs, I was drinking a lot. I was partying a lot, um, and like I didn't really have any type of mindfulness and set in the context of like, we don't, what does drinking seven days a week do for you the sure. next week if you choose not to drink, you know, et cetera. And so, um, but yeah, that it all led to a point where I I just started having um, like really bad uh, uh, emotional breakdowns and, and panic attacks, like multiple panic attacks a day. Um, really gripping panic attacks that like it would paralyze me essentially to to um, like whatever I was doing in the moment. Like the one that sticks out the most in my memory is I had I was sitting at a light turn go to turn into my apartment complex, and there was a guy in a car next to me, and uh, he waved and and I, I nodded and waved and smiled and I felt this sense of oh that's nice like people are nice and then. Um, he drove away, and when he drove away, I had this intrusive thought of, well, I'm never going to see that guy again. And I had this crazy panic attack, and I couldn't move. I started hyperventilating, and I just sat, and, like, the light cycled a couple of times until I was finally able to, like, compose myself enough to move, and it was for over a complete trivial stranger. But, again, like, hindsight recognizing, like, I had experienced a lot of losses, and there was probably a lot of grief that I hadn't unpacked, but... Just like that was one one specific event that sticks out, but it just kept getting worse and worse uh, until the point where uh, my roommates didn't feel safe with me in the house because I was having these outbursts and panic attacks. I wasn't violent or anything in that context, but I was loud and like that's scary. And it doesn't matter if you're not like aggressive, like being loud is scary to people. Sure. Um, and so, um, I'm having a lot of mental health problems, and right at the same time, um, my uh, uncle, who's my stepmother's brother, uh, killed himself. And um, the night that he did it, I was having, I was really, really struggling with, with my decision to want to live, and to the point where, like, I, I decided I was going to kill myself. And then I was able to go to sleep, and and then I woke up the next day to a phone call. My dad said, "Hey, you know, you're." He told me not to not freak out because I needed to be able to tell my my uh, my siblings who were my roommates, but that my uncle had killed himself the night before, and like that was incredibly jarring to have the, that level of parallel thinking, and also be um, I think met with the reality of the consequences of like what that decision was, and also the fact that like I I was at that like that night I was like yeah I really want to do this and that was that was the only thing that gave me any solace was the idea that I was going to start planning when I was going to leave and so um what got you through that well <laughs> it that kind of was just the I guess that was like the very beginning of the the downward spiral and the larger context because I I had a lot of mental problems where I was like I felt like I, I thought I was psychic because I I was like, oh, maybe I was just picking up on my uncle's thoughts that night, and it wasn't actually my mental health. And and, and then I, uh, I had the unfortunate aspect of going to somebody who has good intentions but does not actually know how to help. I went to a hypnotherapist, and I explained to them like I'm having these thoughts that I'm psychic. I'm having these thoughts that I'm I'm like I'm, I'm have these powers or whatever, and. I recognized like this is not healthy thinking. But then she really doubled down and was like, "No, <laughs> like it is. Like you are an empath, and you do you can sense this stuff." And then and I went through like hypnotherapy with this lady for a little while, and that just reinforced this distorted thinking that I was having. 
And then that informed uh, when I finally did get to a point where I had to go to the mental hospital because, I, again, I wasn't um, in a state where my roommates felt safe. And I tried to explain all of that, you know, really. And even now I'm reducing it down to so such a large extent. But to explain all of that to a stranger at 5.30 in the morning after I get woken up from, uh, you know, this mental facility. And unfortunately, there's a language barrier on top of it. And they only give you five minutes to explain what's going on. And so I boil it down to, I thought that I, and like, again, at the time, I had thought that I had killed myself and that I was going through some type of purgatory-esque, like, trial to, uh, like, clean my soul so I could go to heaven. And so I tried to, again, reduce all of this down, and I'm very reductive with even that, but reducing all of that down to try to explain this to somebody that, like, I have, I'm having all of these weird this stuff happening, but, uh, and then he goes, okay, so you broke your phone because Jesus told you to. And then that's what I was diagnosed in my first, di- like, hard diagnosis of schizophrenic. And the and then I had to go through the, the again, like, the rehabilitation or the inpatient programs there and um, did what I was told to do and started taking, again, they started giving me medication um, for that diagnosis. And that, and that, that was... A similar diagnosis to what I had been in the, in the when when I was in high school, and so it did the same thing. It just changed my personality to the larger extent where I just essentially wasn't here again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried to trust the system because I was like, okay, well, if that's this is all makes sense to the point where if if that's all what was it going on, and and um, uh, you know because of of uh, the the. Um, all the life stuff that I'm having and the trauma is just kind of accumulating to this point, then I'm probably, I probably do have this diagnosis and then um, following through with it and then following up with an actual psychiatrist afterwards, they're like, this is absurd. You don't have this. And then they re-diagnosed me bipolar. And then I started getting on different medication really quickly and started moving towards that. And that was where I was at for a long while. I was being treated, I think, for that. And also just like insomnia problems that I had. That was a large, large part of my problem was I wasn't sleeping. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, and then um, I started basically like the psychiatrist that I was working after that stay, like anytime I had a problem, I would go to, she just give me a different medicine to like add on to the, the medicines that I was already taking. Um, and then, uh, and that kept leading up to the point where uh, the, the she's prescribed me. Um, eventually, I couldn't sleep. I was taking trazodone, a lot of trazodone, and I was staying awake through it. And uh, it was really affecting my my ability to function at all throughout the day. Um, and uh, she prescribed me Ambien, and I started taking that. And I only, only got a couple of weeks, not even, again, not even because I didn't take that every single night. I took it like five times before um, I had uh, the my big event in November of 2017. So. so, so let's talk about that big event because it's it's clearly an important uh, transitional point in mm-hmm. your life. And so, from from what I hear, you you took you took some Ambien as prescribed, mm-hmm. right? And you ended up having basically a sleep walking episode. Yeah, um, I mean, from what, like, my recollection of the night, the day before um, I took my medicine, like, it was a little later in the night that I took it, but it was, like, the last minute type of thing where I, I was only taking this if I couldn't fall asleep and I needed to, like, I had work the next day, I have to, work, you know, get up and go, and so I remember taking the medicine, 
being able to fall asleep. Um, and I was staying at my parents' house at the time, and they were doing a remodel. And so they didn't have any drywall on the walls at all. It was just studs, and they had sheets. And so, it, like, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of privacy in the room that I was staying in. Um, and this is after, because after uh, I got kind of kicked out of my apartment after having mental health problems multiple times. Um, but uh, so when they left, they left to go do something. And when they left to go do something, I woke up. And then um, I remember going back to bed, but apparently I got up and I was pretty irate that they woke me up and I left. And um, and then I was missing for 12 hours. And uh, uh, from my memory, what I remember after that is just wake, waking up in the hospital and um, turning to my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, uh, and asked her like, what happened? And she said, you had you had a seizure and you hit your head. And I, and I was like, oh crap. And, um, but yeah, and... So, and you also said that uh, you actually experienced a a brain bleed as well. Yeah. Right? So I had. Um, so what had happened that what, and what, again? It's it's hard to say for certain because we don't we don't have anybody like who that was, was there, there for sure. sure. Um, but uh, I um, got brought into Auburn Hospital, the Auburn Faith Hospital, by a group of people who said they were friends and that I had had uh, a seizure and um, and I had uh, it's also hit my head and we're not sure if I had fallen and hit my head um, or, and then had a seizure or if I had a seizure and then fell and hit my head. But I had, uh, and I, I goof up the, the terminology, but it's, I th believe it was a subdural hematoma on my left occipital. And it, yeah, anyways. And, <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah. and um, the, the, the doctor told my wife that um, if it, if my brain swelled at all anymore, basically over the next you know period of time, that I was going to have to go in for emergency surgery to relieve the pressure, um, and uh, and so like I have, I have again in my memory, I went to bed, and then um, I do remember my parents waking me up, but I went back to sleep. I remember sure. going closing my eyes and going right back to sleep. Um, and then I'm waking up in the hospital and like register. I have some brief memories of kind of being in a CT machine beforehand, um, but it's very dreamlike. Um, and can I, uh, I know I kept sitting up and I, and my, my wife told me afterwards that they were like, Hey, he was kind of difficult in the CT machine, but, um, so it was, it was fairly shortly after you had this experience in the hospital that you ended up joining Beautiful Minds is the IOP, correct? Right. Yeah. So um, after hitting my head, I mean, I kind of it kind of was like a factory reset, um, and I, like my medicine all changed again, um, and uh, I, I had to. I just had this profound sense of anger about everything. I, I blamed my parents for every problem that I had, and every everything else was everybody's fault, and I was just a victim of of everything. And so I was, I was really angry, but that also made me not. Uh, again, not safe to be around at that time, and my parents told me like I couldn't be in their house anymore if uh, unless I was going to go, doing some program. And uh, um, so yeah, and so they probably found beautiful minds for yeah, you and, yeah, and made so the referral. They, and they because uh, I grew up uh, with a Judeo Christian background, grow, going to church and and stuff. And so um, beautiful minds having like more of a Christian basis, just in the context of like it's it's part it partly in there, yeah. um, made it more. Uh, 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 accepting or, or interesting, I guess, rather more comfortable. I think is better sure. the, the better word for me at the time, just because I kind of uh, resonated with that. But also, um, the outpatient program was uh, was really 
specifically geared in a context, I think that helped me in that situation so that I didn't, because I refused to go to another inpatient program and I mm. refused to go to another um, mental hospital because I didn't feel like I was going to be treated as an individual. Like with this situation, I felt like it was going to be immediately boiled down and I was going to be re-diagnosed something out of pocket and then have to go through this whole thing again, you know? And so, um, so what was it about Beautiful Minds' IOP the, uh, you know, aside from just it being an outpatient versus an inpatient, that you felt really distinguished it from some of the other programs you've been in, and then what were some of the main takeaways that you got out of it? So it was, I mean, I, I'd say it was like the first couple of weeks that I was there, I was a genuine jerk to everybody here, yeah, <laughs> and I was still kind of in that mode of like survival mode. Um, if I'm giving myself grace, and um, uh, and so there was, uh, there wasn't an appreciation for what the people here who were trying to help me were, were doing. Um, but everybody from the intake nurse, when I first came, I mean, I came, I, I came here before I started IOP the day before I had an emotional uh, problem and I actually got wheeled out in, in an ambulance because I was having this, I was having a fit and needed to make sure I wasn't bleeding on my brain again. And, um, and so nobody, when I came back, I kind of assumed like there's going to be this stigma against me and nobody mm. treated me any different, even though I had kind of, again, for like lack of a better term, made a fool of myself. And um, and then I continued to do so for like two weeks, but everybody here, it didn't, they didn't waver on their desire to like give me like fruitful information and just unconditional love and support and like recognize like, hey, you're being a little bit of a, a jerk, but like, like smiling at it and kind of just recognizing, I think they were able to, thankfully they had the perspective being in like this industry more that like, that's just part of the healing journey for some people. And, um, sure. And so they just kept, kept giving me their grace and, and their, you know, information. And, um, I was walking cause I still didn't have my license. So I was walking in between my family's home, which is about two and a half, three miles away from here actually. And, um, and, back from uh, uh, IOP back to their house. And I kind of just like had this epiphany of like, I'm I'm in my own way right now. <laughs> I'm being real mean to everybody. And uh, and like everyone's just, they're just trying to help. Um, and um, this isn't the same in the context of like, because in like the, the mental hospital, if you're a jerk, they just shoot you in the butt with, you know, sleep <laughs> juice. Doll, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> There's a, Desmond the moon bear comes and gets you and you can go take a nap <laughs> or whatever. But um and it wasn't, I didn't get met with that. Um, and it, I just got met with patience and understanding and, and love and support. And, and so by week, uh, you know, three, transitioning yeah. into week three, <laughs> yeah. you started taking the program more seriously. You started doing your homework. You started paying attention. You started asking good questions. Yeah. And by yeah. the time that you graduated, because most people are coming out, you know, around the six week mark or so, mm -hmm. you know, what were some of the, what were some of those main takeaways that, that you recall from the program or, or how it sort of set you up for the next season of your life? Yeah. So, so the biggest thing, um, when I started to take it seriously, I recognize again, like I just kind of, I needed to get out of my own way. Um, and I needed to do the things that I, I know I needed to do. I need to get on bed. It sounds silly, but I need to get on bed on time. I need to make sure I was hydrated. I needed to make sure I was eating. I needed to make sure that if I did have emotions come up that I was responding to them rather than reacting to them. Mm -hmm. Um, like a lot of, again, a lot of the core things that they teach in IOP, uh, I just I started to recognize that um, uh, it, it was easy to implement, a lot easier than just uh, even easier than pretending to implement it in the context <laughs> of just like lying, yeah. and be like oh yeah, I right. did the thing. Um, and so 
Uh, and like also again the the people here uh, the the there was a a, a nurse and I'm I'm forgetting her name I don't believe she's here anymore but at the time she asked a, a really like provocative question of because I kept coming and saying like oh I'm just I'm I'm really grateful that I'm alive and like like what what else do you need to be grateful for and um, she's like challenged me to make a point to go out and like thank somebody who had helped me in my journey recently mm-hmm. and um, and it was uh, rather trivial but again I, I had. I still had the hat that I had uh, hit my head in, and it had bl- actually had blood, like a blood stain on it. And I'd gotten it from a thrift store that's on the way in between here and um, my parents' house. And so on the way that day, I had stopped and I made a point to like tell the shop owner, like, I, you don't, you didn't really do anything to help me, but thank you, you <laughs> yeah. know. And um, it, I, I just saw it change his day. And like it, and it was, it genuinely did come from my heart. Like I, I wanted to say thank you for this hat. Cause like it, who, who knows? Like maybe that bit of, of uh, fabric actually saved me from it being something where I, I really had to learn, relearn how to walk or I died, sure. you know, or, or something, you know, even worse. So, um, so, and, and again, like it, I don't know if he was having a tough day or whatever, and I've never talked to the guy again. But I, I recognize, like in that moment, it meant a lot to him, and that there was there was a lot of profoundness and like being genuine and and trying to to grow past like what I was upset about, like the situation, rather than identifying like as a victim of a, a seizure and mental health, the mental health industry kind of failing me and and my parents and blah blah blah. Like recognize like all of this stuff is something that I can. I can grow past and like I can stand on even. And, uh, and again, like it's, you change one little thing each day and it, you start to really build momentum. And I think that was the other side of it too, is I, I started to feel better. Um, yeah. and I wasn't as angry. I started to, <laughs> I started to really be able to sit with my emotions more and to be able to like dissect them and recognize like where it was coming from and what, you know, what this action maybe that I'm being called to do is, is, not not necessarily. I don't need to act out of this emotion. I can re- you know recognize it and say, yeah, I'm angry at this, but it doesn't mean I need to shout at this person or I'm you know I'm upset about this, but it doesn't mean I need to uh, curl up in a ball and and you know act act on that sadness. I can say that I'm sad and be sad, but I don't need to to play into it if that makes sense. It sounds like a lot of your core beliefs, a lot of your biases. Uh, started slowly, kind of, maybe maybe not so slowly, but started uh, breaking down as you were coming through the program, and you sh- started shifting your mentality from being that of the victim, right? Yeah. Uh, to being one that can have agency, can have responsibility, yeah. and and you recognize that mental health providers are are pointing you in a direction, but ultimately it comes down to your right. willingness to actually walk the walk. Right. right? Yeah. I think that I, I definitely had like a paradigm in my head that like. There, like a doctor was this kind of authority figure mm-hmm. in the context that like they had, they know, they just know, and so if they tell you like this is what you got to do, then your life's going to get better. Yeah, and that then like you know I would do some of the things, but it wouldn't. It I didn't see this drastic shift, and again I also didn't have like the uh, the best uh, attention. Like unfortunately, like we do suffer from having again like kind of a a. a bad again like medical field mental health industry is not the best in america and so it's if you do if you don't have money or good health insurance or something like that and you do experience like mental health issues um a lot of times you do get kind of get thrown into like the meat grinder so being able to be in a space where it again it was everything it was opposite of that like what they preach in the context of like 
we believe that like focusing on your your holistic health, your mental, your spiritual, and your physical health is going to help you, you be better. Like it wasn't just that they were just saying that because that's what they have to say. So the yeah. government gives them their funding or whatever. Like it, there's proof behind it. And and I started to experience that in my with myself. And again, like you start to feel better, and you're like, oh well, let's double down on this. You know, I haven't felt this good in a long time. And um, ever, I mean, arguably, and and it got to a point again where I recognized, like, I I I had had depression for most of my life, but I was starting to step away from it. And, and so, so you came out of IOP. Mm-hmm. You hopefully continued with a lot of those principles. Yeah, and you ended up actually coming, even though you were, I guess, you were seeing Doctor Binus during that time. Right. You ended up eventually joining our coaching program. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So. Using the the skills that I had gained through IOP and and implementing them, I was able to reestablish foundations in my life. I was able to get an apartment uh, with my girlfriend at the time, who's again now my wife, and was able to get a job. I was able to get uh, my license. I was able to get a car, and uh, I this all over the span of uh, about a year and a half, two years after graduating IOP. Um, and I had a good career. I was an RV technician, um, but I would get done at the end of the day. My bills were paid. I was able to go out and do stuff, but I still like I wanted something more. Yeah. And um, and I, I expressed that to Dr. Binus, and he he shared with me. You know, they had the the coaching program, the Revive to Thrive program, and that it might help me get an idea of like, do I want to go back to school or do you know what's what's my goal? And so I yeah I did the uh, it's an eight week program um, and getting to work with life coaches and and uh, really like take a deep dive and and look at your values and, and your core beliefs in a in a more focused sense than IOP is yeah um, and a more like growth directed sense too like IOP is a, a fantastic resource for recovery for getting your start in recovery and getting like a lot of that information so that you can take ownership and control over your journey um, and then I think that the the coaching program really helped me go like once I had that momentum it helped me focus that momentum into a place where I could not only help myself but help other people too um, and like then just by proxy again I just being exposed to other people who had similar mindsets um, and like I found uh, uh, myself um, uh, talking with people like for 45 minutes almost to an hour outside of the front of beautiful minds at the end of the revive to thrive just talking about their my journey and their journey and then mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know bouncing ideas off of each other like oh this might work uh, this might work to help you exceed and and so, and it really again it helped put fi- like a fire underneath my uh, my pants. And um, and after the the eight week program, I started working one on one with uh, one of the life coaches um, named Steve. And uh, and and through just the work with him, we read like really redefined like what like I wanted to do with my life and and what I wanted to do with with the the gift. Now that I was able to recognize that I had been given of this trauma and this tragedy, how could I use that to propel myself forward and, and to, again, help other people. Um, and, and, yeah. and so, su- surprise, but yeah. <laughs> what, surprise, uh, surprise, what did you end up coming, uh, yeah. what did you end up finding would be your passion? So I uh, had the opportunity uh, through work and through working with Steve to mentor somebody um, who was in a really similar situation at, at the RV place and uh, found that, like again, through the skills that I was able to develop and uh, through IOP and the coaching program and, and my journey, um, I was able to help Help that person make some really drastic changes in their life. I was able to to, or I shouldn't say I, because I, I don't want to take all the credit. They did all the work. I just met with them and had lunch and then kind of pointed them in the direction. But 
um, we were able to get to a point where they they were able to have a, a much more steady and sound life. And um, going into it, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing what I had experienced in the context. Like I didn't want to lead people astray. Like the hypnotherapist kind of led me astray. And like I know that they were well intentioned and and they meant the best, but they didn't have information that they were working off of like that was sturdy. And so I wanted to make sure like the foundations of like me helping people was based on something that is true, not just mm. some platitude that I read in a self-help book that I was like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, was able to, uh, to, to help them. Uh, uh, my first client, who was also a coworker, helped them uh, get some pretty good changes in their life, get a lot of control over certain things. And then, um, by God's grace, I uh, got uh, in, uh, started working with someone who was also in the Revive to Thrive program the same time that I was, um, who was going to the um, the meetings afterwards because they have the, uh, the accountability meetings thereafter. Um, and uh, they expressed interest. I just you know shared with them, hey, I started working as a life coach, and it was my goal to grow with that, and they were interested in working with me, and um, and so I started working with them and, uh, and got similar success in their journey as well. And um, they referred me to multiple of their friends. And I've kind of kept that train going of uh, helping people get to a point where they are able to recognize the, the inherent uh, creative beauty that they have inside mm. of them so that they can achieve what they are actually trying to go towards. Um, cause I, I, I was, I think I was able to see more clearly afterwards that a lot of people get kind of wrapped up in the story that they're telling themselves. And like, again, like IOP has, has a lot about that in the context of like your internal verbiage. And so, um, but helping people like identify those limiting beliefs, identify like they are so much closer to what they want than they, they probably know. And if they aren't, then they they can get closer each day. Um, but it does sometimes take like an unbiased opinion coming in and saying like, I'm not your dad, I'm not your brother, I'm not your, like I'm your friend, but only in this context, but we're here with growth in mind. And so I can look at where your obstacles are and, and kind of give a better, a better, objective like game plan of how we can move past it so there isn't so much of that story involved and we can dismantle it more and get to a point of action um like my goal uh, and I, I would argue it's it's uh um the the sign of a, a successful coach is when you have clients leave you because they don't feel as they they need your guidance anymore sure um and they've outgrown that uh, that season of their life and um i've had that thankfully i've had that with a couple few of my clients have gotten to a point where they're like hey i I really appreciate we've gotten this far, but I, I don't feel like I uh, I need this extra reminder anymore. And so, and um, my my wife is actually now she's a, a life coach as well, and she focuses more specifically on like anxiety coping um, mm. and the the metaphor that she likes or the uh, illusion that she likes to uh, make is that she's like Mary Poppins. Like once the job's done, she's got to go back out, and then they get to they get to go live their lives. But um, it's it's been an absolute blessing to be able to. Uh, like take the the lessons that I I was able to learn and glean from beautiful minds and be able to uh, not only again like apply them in my life so that I could have more enjoyment and uh, a better trajectory for myself, but also be able to help other people um, grow in their journeys as well. 
So it's a little bit like that idea of life being somewhat like a ladder. And we're all, you know, we all kind of start at the bottom and we mm-hmm. kind of work our way up. And as we do so, there's other people sort of in front of us and behind yeah. us. And you still you still have your mentors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I so still meet with uh, my life coach from at least once a month. So, okay. Yeah. Good. And so you've, you've still got people that are kind of reaching or looking down and kind of pulling you up. But yeah. yet you've, you've gotten to the place where you're, um, you're obviously, well informed enough, and you've done a lot of work with yourself to be able to also be in that position to turn around and, and help other people. Yeah. So that's ultimately part of the the thriving aspect of it, right? Yeah. Is being using your skills and your talents to to ultimately be be a blessing to others. Yeah, right? most definitely. And I think like inherently in that, like I'm still climbing. It's a practice, but um, it, you know, it, it does. You get to a point where. You do have the people who have been lifting you up uh, above you, and um, and uh, and then again you get to take that lesson and, and help pick people up. And sometimes people pass you up on the ladder too, and it's <laughs> you, know, you got to be like, go go go, buddy! But like um, again, it's uh, it is it's just a different level of um, I think ownership is the better word again because you're not allowed, rather than letting the day happen. I have the day, if that yeah. makes sense, and um, and I, I hope to to bring that to other people as well because it is. If you are on the lower end of the ladder um, and and struggling with you know the anxiety and depression and other th- you know intrusive thoughts and et cetera, it's it's exhausting and it's really tiring trying to to get up and out of that muck. But um, you know, I, if I could affirm anything to anybody is that it's just. Even by uh, you know marginal changes each day, if you commit to them with consistency, then it gets easier over time, and you build momentum, you build those muscles so that they're a little bit you know in the context of the the metaphor of the ladder, so that you're a little bit more um, used to using them, and it, mm-hmm. and it becomes easier to to navigate these situations, but. Again, yeah, I, I definitely stand on the, the shoulders of giants, and I try to make a point to tell that to my clients. Like, I didn't, I didn't come up with any of the ideas I'm bringing to you guys. It just, it was something that I saw that was useful in my journey that that I'm able to hopefully allow you to say, okay, this is helping me, you know, climb a couple of rungs quicker. Um, and but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a blessing to have had. Um, so many other people, just not only in the context of beautiful minds, but this there's such a, a thriving community within mental health in like literature and stuff. Not necessarily in again, it, it's in it's getting better. I think yeah. beautiful minds is a, is a fantastic, it's uh, fantastic proof that there are small communities where people are genuinely taking mental health incredibly seriously and. Not just in the context of like this is another number that we have to treat and get out so we can fill another space. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, I think that that all plays in overall, again, just to my appreciation, like I have a lot of people to thank for where I'm able to be and to, to be able to, to pull other people up. So. Well, we can also say uh, to all of us here at Beautiful Minds that we appreciate you as well. And um, I know you've been you've been a blessing to this organization in coming through and being willing to come back and share you. your story and be be sort of a light, kind of helping to point people in in the right direction. And I think for a lot of you know our listeners, it's it means a lot when it's coming from somebody. Where they feel like they've been in their shoes, right? And yeah. oftentimes, you know, when you're meeting with, say, a mental health professional, unless that person is very transparent, you have no idea what their story is, right? right? And yeah. so, so we just, yeah, we want to all say that um, we we thank you for um, just your your willingness to be open, to be transparent, and to uh, take the calling uh, that you have on your life to to be a blessing to other people. Thank you. So. Um, 
if uh, the la- last thing, can you tell us where people that may be interested in maybe <laughs> getting your services or whatnot, where they can go? Yeah, so um, you can reach out to me via email, uh, Tanner underscore sharp one two three at yahoo.com. Um, and primarily that's where I can correspond. Um, can I give my personal? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I, you, you, also, you can also just send me a text message. Uh, my my number is 530-492-9071. Um, if you're genuinely interested in making changes and, and getting to a point in your life where you have more enjoyment and uh, feel like you're honoring your values and yourself day to day, um, but uh, don't quite know how to take that next step. Definitely reach out, and uh, we'll set up a, an appointment and, and get to meet each other and make sure that we're congruent with each other, so that we can uh, both benefit each other and I can help you grow. And um, but yeah, uh, yeah, Tanner Sharp uh, underscore, or excuse me, Tanner underscore Sharp one two three at yahoo.com or five three zero four nine two nine zero seven one. I look forward to meeting some of you guys. Well, thank you so much, Tanner, for being on our show today. And listeners, we hope that you got a lot of value out of uh, a different style of podcast today, hearing some people that have been you know, part of the Beautiful Minds community for a while and have really uh, you know, stepped up to the plate, taken responsibility, and made drastic changes in their overall mental health. But ultimately, if you take one thing away from today's podcast, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Jonathan Edens. I'm Tanner Sharp, and you've been listening to The The Brain Brain People People Podcast. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media, or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. 